Can you speak? Yes. I'm going to raise the gain on you, I think that would be better. Okay. Um, just tell me, what did you do today? Um, I had fool. <laughs> the aunt that I'm staying with here has, um, uh, she lived in uh, Egypt for like a good portion of her life. <laughs> and they make really good fool. <laughs> I don't understand why this is funny. <laughs> you asked me what I did today and that's what I ate. <laughs> the day just started, Alia, it's four. <laughs> you say it like it was traumatizing. <laughs> it wasn't, it was really good. I really liked it. Okay, this is a great way to dust that on you. Shall we start? Sure. Um, I'm kind of nervous because I feel like we'll start off with a topic and then it'll turn into another topic and then another topic and then another that topic. That is okay. It isn't, Yanni. This is not an educational... Yeah, but what if you get a comment and it's like it was unorganized and disoriented? And I Then they clearly to. started at the wrong episode because every <laughs> single episode I have recorded so far has been that. Um, uh, I will start by apologizing. I have been trying to make this episode more Arabic. But um, for the sake of this episode, I think it will be mostly English. I'll, I'll try my best, Yanni. Yeah. yeah. You know what? Feel comfortable because I think this is a bit of a serious topic. So just do whatever you think will make you most informative. <laughs> okay. I'm, I feel like you, you seem nervous because you really want this to work. I do really want this to work. But also, but also I understand and I have the awareness that this is my own experience mm. and other people have positive experiences and I, I like unfortunately just don't at this moment in time so. we have recorded three different times with three different topics yeah um and all of them led to another topic so yeah but I think this is the first time we have a really focused one that we know what we want to talk about صراحة إيه. yes Rima Alia لو عندك شبشب ترمي على مين like a person or an organization whatever you want it to be DHL. Proceed. They keep messing up my orders. And it, like, it just doesn't make any sense. And half my day is spent on the phone with them. Ya Allah, the phone calls with Aramex and DHL are, are so bad, are so, so bad. And they don't, they don't give their customer service representatives any like leeway to do anything. Actually, they actually can't. They can just tell you where it is and what happened, which is information you already know from looking it up online. And then they can't assist you any further. That's fine. That is, yeah, it's horrible. It kind of just reminds you why capitalism is horrible and you need to stop buying things. Yeah, online. but they're like, sorry, I'm not going to feel bad for you. And you were the only people benefiting from a pandemic. <laughs> I can't, like, ما عندي أي شعور اتجاهكم مو إنكم بزنس وأقول يا الله مساكين مضغوطين أكيد كان صعب عليه like, You know what you should know. be like? You should be like, أنا عندي ضغط عاطفي من هذا التليفون <laughs> Can you help 
me. <laughs> I bought something to ease my stress, and you are stressing me out more. They, it always just stresses you out more. Well, it it's, does. It's like the convenience of online shopping is only convenient like 75% of the time, and then the rest of the time, it's expensive for no reason. There are all these like additional taxes. Mm. How it even accumulates. It's hilarious, Saraha. What's funny is that DHL is actually the best of the worst. Still, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. that's that's where my ship ship is is going. You know what? I had a very specific answer for my ship ship, but I completely forgot. So I'm gonna quickly like brainstorm of what my stresses are for this week. Mm. And I think I'm going to. I can't like I already threw like I think three ship ships on my hairdresser, and on this podcast. So I, I don't think I can go through this again, but. I would like to throw my ship ship at. I want to throw my ship ship at if romance tropes and fantasy novels because they're so extra. They are ridiculous. Like if I read one more enemies to lover trope, I'm going to just become illiterate. <laughs> Reverse my education. Just exist in this world not speaking. <laughs> Because I can't do this anymore. <laughs> I've been promoting feminism for such a long time that every single time I read a romance fantasy novel, all my progress is just gone with my brain cells. Just, <laughs> just gone. Non-existent anymore. And I need to stop so I become a better feminist. But my excuse is that they're female authors, therefore it's okay. <laughs> But that is not the case. I think we should proceed with the episode. <laughs> so, Alia. Yes. What's our topic today? Well, I have to do the intro first. Asahi. Please. <laughs> الباب مقفول والقلوب مفتوحة وأهم إشي القهوة على النار أهلا فيكم في لولا جارتي البودكاست اللي بيجيب من طاق الحنك فايدة اسمي عالية محمود AKA ألفا جارة معايا اليوم ريما Do you wanna just ريما؟ آه ريما متعب Yeah. Okay. I don't <laughs> you know. You forgot your name. Have you not listened to another episode of this? I have, but I'm not. I'm not a good like. By the way, this is considered public speaking for me. Ah, oh, you don't like public speaking. No, no, I don't. I'm. I'm not. Many mara labiqa. So it's actually tough for me. You're doing so far. You made me laugh quite a bit. So I think you're on the right track. But having ma to, yani this does not correlate with labaqa. Mahas, this is not, we do not, this is not ladylike situations at all. It's a malahasti. The whole shtick of this is yeah. to be informal. Oh, cool. Yeah. Okay. Our topic, we will discuss a topic and I promise this, we have been recording for 11 minutes so far. A lot of it you will not hear, but we will discuss a topic. So, Reem and I, uh, a big part of our friendship is discussing what's happening in the fashion world because that's one of our hobbies. When I first started journalism, I wanted to be a fashion journalist, but I opted to step out of that environment because I hated it. Hmm. I hated the industry. I hated how toxic it is. And I just chose to be a news journalist instead because wars and hard news was far more comforting for me (laughs) than the fashion industry. And... um, So, yeah, our topic today is the fashion, beauty, and retail industry of the Middle East. Yeah. 
And this mainly stems out of the fact that we continuously rant about how frustrating it is to be an Arab. And the only fashion media you have is magazines like Vogue Arabia, Harper's Bazaar, and the few selective bloggers who have dominated the industry since 2010. And Mm. we just are frustrated with it. So we would like to discuss it. Yep. Rima, do you have any thoughts on the matter? Uh, you know, it's funny. I don't think uh, I don't think the bloggers are necessarily part of the problem. No, I think they're going to be part of the solution. Yeah, that's the thing. Yes, but I do have an issue with how tiny the group is or the group that is continuously hired. Yeah, yeah, because it's the same people over and over again, which yes. is uh, good for them. Alhamdulillah, they're very talented. But it just seems like there's no... Um, room for more there's no room for more and there's also very little highlighting of uh, of new talent mm. so there's that but also i don't know there are a bunch of problems like hatta access to fashion education mm-hmm. like as a as a degree yani is very difficult in the middle east it's not it's not as available as it is elsewhere and hatta even elsewhere it's turned into like this like super elitist thing you mm-hmm. know fa and you have to be either you know well off enough to participate in the industry or like super talented and willing to not you know uh, live a sustainable lifestyle yeah. for for i don't know how many years until you make it so yeah can you introduce yourself first and tell us what you do? Because I think the audience uh, would benefit out of this knowledge. Yeah, I mean, um, so my name is Rima, which was already mentioned. Uh, I have a jewelry company called Lam and Lou and Welded and um, the Piercing Annex. Welded is its own product line. I started it with a, another business owner in the Emirates. Her name is Tehla. She has such Studios. Uh, Lam and Lou and the Piercing Annex is going to morph into the Annex, and that's what... Um, the team is working on now so uh, we're trying our best to make piercings happen in a way that's uh, legal and al-wajha which is proving to be super difficult Uh, we sell fine jewelry and we have space in the business to kind of you know explore other avenues but right now it's all under uh, the jewelry category uh, so we house different designers. We don't uh, we don't design yet, but we collaborate with the different people we have to make things that are like specific for us. Um, we're also delving into like the realm of uh, daily engagement rings and more like bespoke kind of uh, niche pieces, um, while also trying to make uh, fine jewelry more accessible online at a price point that's more accessible online. So um, the business is around like five or six years old, and this is its first transition. So I'm hoping that everything will, you know. Inshallah. Inshallah, yeah. Please, I need it. (laughs) But we do have a girl boss in our midst, so I'm really proud of you. Wow, girl boss. That's a word I haven't heard in a long time. I think, I think, you know what? I feel like it's making a comeback. Is it really? I think they're they're using it now in a way that's... um, like the the Gen Z people are like, oh, girl boss, girl boss, like in a bad way. It is low key. Like it's people. You know what? No, it is not low key. It's kind of high key. It is very high key. Yeah. Um, people are kind of making fun of it, but it's become somewhat of a TikTokized term. Pretty much. Yeah. But um, yeah, so that's that's what I do. That's what my team does, too. Um, 
I'm, I'm like I exist in this weird realm where I'm I'm not a designer, but I but we exist in spaces where designers exist. We um, the business started off as like pop-ups or those sorts of spaces. Um, fa it's tricky because we're like um, category agnostic, so you don't really know where to put yourself, and you mm-hmm. don't really know what representation, you know, looks like. And it is—I don't know—it's—it's it's kind of weird. It's not like—it's uh, not very cookie cutter. It's not mm-hmm. like you know, okay, now we make jewelry, we handle the production. Um, my name is on the label, you know. Yeah. Or like you know, we make um, like luxury abayas or whatever it is. So <laughs> the word luxury abai is triggering. Please proceed. <laughs> oh my god! But the fabrics, though. Anyway, it's not about the fabrics. It's just about the abaya industry that is very problematic. <laughs> I, I say it in a way like <laughs> this is like sweatshop making abaya industry toxicity. But no, it's just yeah. I, I we you. will discuss the issues regarding that. I think it will come up. Yeah. So 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 that's what I do. Um, I often find it very confusing, but it's it's quite exciting. So. I like what you do. Thanks. I like what you do quite a bit. Thank you. I want to ask you this. I would like to know when you were younger and you were getting into fashion and all of that, what was your source of information? Um, so I grew up uh, drawing and I illustrated for a while and I got really serious about that. And I also grew up in ballet. So there was like the costume realm. And that led me into like kind of like dressmaking and then exploring kind of costume design. And I think my main source of information when as it relates to fashion was literally me going to the corner store and buying copies of Vogue. And this was in the States and then going back home and then like seeing a designer I'm, I think was really cool and then Googling them. And that was kind of how it is. But um, there wasn't really any media around it besides like Wikipedia pages and like kind of what I saw in magazines. And I would buy, um, I would buy everything. Like there was, uh, and I spent most of my money on magazines. Like uh, it, there was Vogue and Nylon and then like the more niche ones like Lola and Sorbet and like those those I types of nylon. magazines. Nylon was cool. Nylon at was really cool. Yeah, and I would kind of steer away from like the Seventeen magazine and those sorts of magazines. But also French Vogue was a big one. What's Vogue your Italia favorite was Vogue? A big one. Vogue Italia. Vogue UK for me. Really? Mm. Yeah. I think like my punk rock like it comes through, right? It yeah, does. Yeah. I love I love UK creativity when it comes to media i yeah. think the, it, the media industry in the uk is is very special in comparison to the rest of the world i, I agree think. and it's very authentic also i don't know if it's authentic but it's raw definitely raw yeah. yeah yeah i think it's really cool but i i just i don't know i loved vogue italia although like i couldn't read it because it was in italian <laughs> but it was just i think uh, i think the editorials are are kind of what got me um but I never, um, like me, my participation in fashion, like I actually wanted to be a fashion designer for a while, like mm. clothing. Um, and then it, that never, you know, that never materialized and I found myself like going in other directions. And I, I don't think I'm, I'm uh, I don't think I'm talented in that way either, but I definitely have an appreciation for it. And I didn't really go into understanding publications and like the way they work and whatnot, but um, until... Vogue decided to come here and form Vogue Arabia. So that was the only time where I, I looked into it slightly. Mm. Vogue Arabia, I think we're going to be critical of it quite a bit today. 
um, God, thing is, I remember when I was getting into fashion, it, I remember very vividly, it was the moment where Savage Beauty, the exhibition happened. Oh, McQueen, I went, yes. I went to the Met one. I went to the one they had in the Met. I went to the I British, stood in the line in for British. like two hours. It was amazing. Rightfully so. I remember. It was the first moment that I kind of really understood the whole connection between art and fashion and not just kind of think of it as Zara. It, that was like my first introduction to it. And mm. then I discovered Grace Coddington. Oh. Oh, it's she's she's a gem. She is a gem. That's true. Everything about her made me want to enter through the world of fashion journalism. Mm. And also, I feel like it's really important to mention the fact that your biggest qualification is that you have a subscription for business of fashion. Oh, me? Yeah. Yeah, I, I read pretty intensely. And like I um, we have this new thing that haram like a lot of the girls on on my team don't actually have time to do this but i send them like case studies and articles and then we have to discuss them because yeah. i think it's important to say stay informed um but a lot of i think i would say saraha 50 percent of the things in in business of fashion i'm personally interested in but i don't read and they don't um they don't benefit me in my work at all. They're really fascinating regardless. They're very fascinating regardless. I mean, there's yeah. like, I feel like um, the fashion journalism industry, you have like two things that are somewhat split. You have the very serious stuff like business of fashion, women's wear daily, WWD at the moment. But then end the sponsored content. And then you have also the cut. Like for me, these three publications yeah, are very hardcore and more business oriented. Because yeah. one, you have a lot of money being pumped into them that you get good quality journalism. And then mm. you have the editorials mm. and hardcore sponsored items true yeah and i'm kind of like in this world where i find like i want to nurture my inner child by <laughs> developing this having this hobby still be a part of it but then when i try to exist in this world in the middle east i struggle a lot because yeah. i absolutely hate the content that's coming out and i struggle to find anything that is fascinating of relevance to our culture and representative, even though it has the word Arabia on it. Yeah. But it does not feel Arabic yeah. at all. Yeah. My biggest issue is that their team is predominantly Ajanib. You know, it's it's very funny you say that because but here's the thing. Anna Ahas and Vogue Arabia should have been split up into like three. Arabia as a whole is so diverse and so vast and no, I guess it's aslan impossible to represent everyone that they're trying to represent in a way that's actually authentic to the communities that they're trying to highlight. Um, I remember there was an editorial where this is completely my conspiracy theory, but where people were like, and why is everyone working on this not an Arab? Mm. Everyone working on this is not an Arab, and people have just started speaking out and um, gaining traction. But then they had an editorial with a completely Arab team, and I don't know what went wrong in that editorial. I don't know how it was sabotaged, but everything was not good to go to print. Like bra straps showing, like things things you can, you know, fix and post. And they published that. And I don't know if it was because like, oh, you want Arabs? This is what Arabs produce. You know what I mean? Do you, do you know what I'm talking about or not really? I do know what you're talking about, but it's... I feel like it might be a bit like thing is far-fetched, but at the same time, 
racist shit has happened in this world. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. ما, I'm not gonna do it. I said it. I feel like it's a conspiracy, but there was a... كيف كيف طبعوها؟ yeah. إيه فأنا هذا اللي هذا اللي كان موترني وأحس إنه ما عطوا ما عطوا everyone on that team a fair shot you mm. know um, and it was just trying to prove a point. But at the same time, Vanity Fair once published an Annie Leibovitz shoot where there was an arm completely missing. <laughs> <laughs> that has happened. <laughs> so I feel like mistakes do happen when like. But with an entire editorial. Yeah, no, yeah. It's, it, that one hurts. That one hurts, yeah. That one did hurt. Mm. I mean, there's that, but at the same time, you know the fact, the fact that print media is dying. Truly, yes. I... We are going digital. Yeah. And I feel like the only few uh, print magazines that are succeeding are the niche one mm. that don't have much of a budget and don't expect to have that much of a revenue. Like even... صح. Condé Nast is slowly venturing into restaurant <laughs> ownerships and uh, not just the magazine exclusively and the world of print vogue is slowly dying. Yeah. And then you have these magazines that somehow showed up in the Middle East and mm-hmm. I truly have, like I have not seen a Vogue Arabia print in the flesh. Uh, إيه ترى ما أشوفها إلا بمطارات دبي. Then again, ترى I'm not really well traveled, but uh, I've never seen it here. Like I've never seen it being sold in Saudi. Yeah. Um, like you'd think in no gas stations, mid <laughs> mad. Yeah. I'm I'm kind of like really passionately trying to bring up the topic that we are not getting much representation. I don't feel like. the women that are there putting on the cover are effective. It's the same. Um, there are different variations across the same theme. Mm. And I understand the inclusion. And I think it's great. And, and they they should be on the covers. But no, the, I don't know. I think the solution is not to eliminate them. The solution is to just add more people in the rotation. Mm. That's all. I mean, but like so far, it's just... trying to get an Arab model and they're getting like someone like, um, what's her name? Something Hammam? Iman. Iman Hammam, yeah, yeah. for example, or mm. Bella, and no, because like they're part Palestinian, therefore like they're automatically Arab, even though they're yeah. like fully westernized. Yeah. And you don't really have an industry that is churning out models like they do in the West. You don't صحيح. really have an industry that is supportive to new designers. Mm. Like for example, I think the biggest part of Vogue is that It was a platform which so many emerging designers gained traction, mm. plus gained funding. True, yeah. And yeah. That, like people like Marquesa, people like, hmm, I can't think. Mar- Marquesa had their connections though. There, they had there their connections, that. but they came out of the fashion fund, for صح. example. Eh. Um, like these, this part of the industry is vital in creating a healthy... system mm. a healthy fashion system that is creative that is lucrative mm. that is representative mm. and now we're at the time of like vision 2030 in Saudi Arabia that is putting so much funding into the arts صح. but we still have not fully figured out how to go about it in a successful way oh for sure but Alia don't you think Hanna, we put we place too high expectations on the uh, magazines I do I think they're honestly sometimes I feel like they're quite futile شوية لأن مرات مرات لمن 
ألاقي نفسي I'm criticizing the magazine I'm like okay well يعني I don't know someone in MOC should be doing the work that we're wanting you know what I mean definitely the thing is I kind of now as a as the time we're like we're in 2021 and I think about what are the publications that I look forward to when it comes to fashion and mm. now a lot of them got cancelled alhamdulillah <laughs> but like it was company that it was online platforms like WWD and business of fashion and man mm. repeller and mm. these bloggers that kind of oh what's her name um like she the, that blogger actually I basically ins- like inspired me to create Lola Jati in the way I did um her name is Tani uh, what's her name Gavinson the, the fashion rookie yeah rookie. yeah yeah, yeah. like yeah. I these are where the platforms that I really looked forward to because I felt like they were the creative voice mm. that I wanted to see my favorite magazine were like dazed and confused that were more music and mm. fashion Oriented, and it was yeah. like these quirky ones that I felt were actually the biggest voice in fashion while Vogue was more of the financial body صح. that churned out the fashion designers mm. and now when I think about the Middle East I want to see the bloggers I want to see the online and digital platforms that are supportive of the fashion industry rather than just like praying fingers crossed that some designer gets in vogue mm. and it's right. like I, I don't hear like I when I think about high-end fashion designers mm. I think about the few who made it to the haute couture um Realm. Realm, yeah. like Zuhair Murad and Ali Saab. Yeah. And then on the other end, you have people like Nafsika Skurti, who is very successful in the Middle East and quite like has quite the voice yeah. outside. Mm. And then slowly the voices die out. You have a really huge gap that is not being filled. And then on the other end, you have people who are these small, indie, overpriced Abaya brands. Mm. And that make like a like a bag every now and then that comes in a small line, mm. but that are extremely inaccessible because they're overpriced. And I genuinely don't think that the pricing of it makes sense in terms of production. I really don't. Mm. And like you just now have a fashion industry that is inaccessible, not creative. So I think I Like I don't think I don't think the. Uh, I think everyone should be allowed to conduct whatever business model they want. Fair enough. But I think that they you should have more economic empowerment in terms of new people can come into the market. Definitely. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it can't be just the inaccessible. Like you have to Yani this is this is my issue with everything going on right now from everyone trying to support like بحكي عن السعوديه specifically mm. because that's what I'm familiar with. That's where I work. That's what I know. Um there is this issue with people coming out to support uh, Saudi fashion brands and Saudi creatives, which is they're doing uh, PR first mm. and they're doing marketing first. Mm-hmm. And they're not really effectively, at least not yet, looking into the fact that these people need funding, they need business support, they need strategic management, they need they need more concrete solutions they need licensing i don't do clothes we do jewelry mm. licensing is one of our biggest issues because yeah. anything that is more than one category mafi support for because they don't know where to put you i'm dealing with i'm dealing with but that aside if you 
if you empower the people economically, if you empower the designer or you empower the brand or you give them concrete solutions, the marketing and the PR and the podcasts and the magazine covers and these things will happen naturally. Yeah. It's like it's working the other way around. You know what? Yeah. 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 I agree with that. It's weird and it doesn't work that way, you know? Mm. So I think that's my big, biggest problem. And ma يعني, yalla ta'ali be part of this magazine cover to highlight Saudi female entrepreneurs. Great. But where is the substance here? You know? Yeah. This is something I know from working firsthand with a PR company, which which helped us a lot. But for your company, and you can get all of these articles. That round of, of PR, we were on Harper's Bazaar Arabia, we were on Vogue, we were on these different publications. And that's, you know, you can you can chalk it up to be like, okay, that's just the way it is. You have to pay your way in until يعني, you develop enough traction for it to hap- happen naturally, whatever it may be. But no, I don't know. It's it's just strange. It's just really strange. It is. Actually, you know what? I never thought of it that way. But I, I truly believe that. And honestly, I'm kind of, even from like the simplest creative point of view, I think I have eye fatigue from seeing the same concepts again and again and again online. Sorry. And it's, I feel like, a big part of it is just the hashtag Hajja aesthetic where like someone goes into a bottega or like gets mm. halawa bagara and like mm. put it in the background and yeah. then just shoot a piece of clothing around it yeah. and that have that be the authentic aesthetic of our era or someone goes to Al Balad and takes a picture and then yeah Shufi, there there is a lot of um notoriety and nostalgia yeah um it, is it overused? Sure. But you can also say in your command, it's an aesthetic of the time. I think it's overdone at this point. Mumkin, yeah. I mean, I think I think it's about time somebody needs to figure something out. And you know what? I kind of feel like there's a big part of it when someone, again, like for example, you and I are currently sp- speaking English and I feel like the biggest problem for me is with this podcast, mm. I am struggling to express myself in Arabic when it comes to the topic where I exclusively devoured it in English. <laughs> for me, like I'm, I am a bilingual and I'm comfortable speaking in Arabic, but when it comes to things like fashion, when it comes to things like movies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because honestly, like I've, I've even read the articles on Vogue Arabia, the Arabic ones, and they're just exclusively translated from the English. Ah, oh, I did not know that. Yeah. And I did not delve that far. Yeah. And I feel like the, like, for example, when you look at the editorial team, the mm. biggest management are foreign, and then the Arab editors are the Arabic editor. Or they're like contributors. Yeah. And the thing is, you really try to like look at it, and a, a part of me really believes that there's this inferiority complex that Arabs have where they're struggling to represent their own voice and their own culture in a way that is more attractive to the foreign Western gaze rather than just appease the Arab audience for the sake of just being Arab. Right, but this is also a common problem. If you look at it, everything. In our it's very borrowed European. 
100% يعني the fact انه you يعني اي زواج تروحين له here and you go into a قاعه and the themes are Versailles and whatever and yeah. you know what I mean I know what you mean um, that's that's aesthetic Tara that affects us but mm. I think you know we're a young country there was a lot of European influence there was like a lot of Eurocentric standards but that's gonna make its way into our publications Akid that's gonna make our, uh, its way into our lives and the way we talk and the way we I mean it's it's definitely a natural progression but in now i i'll i'll uh, i'll say something though the aesthetic that you um brought up the nostalgia the halawa bagara kida don't you think you know that's some sort of like extreme attempt at moving away from that I although do. it's overused although it's wrong it's like يعني خلاص طفشنا منه شفناه it's overplayed um at least شيء شويه جاي من عندنا yeah but so I, you know what i'm really like I struggle in my own mind to imagine what a modern Arab aesthetic is. Me too, because it's so informed by all these different factors and it's so informed by all these different things. And then, يعني, um, people travel so much. Kaman, that's another thing. A few. Thing. A few, true. But you know, the people who are contributing to these publications are people who travel, are pre- people who spend I don't know, four months out of the year in London. Like yeah. it's... Uh, that's westernized chicken nuggets. Westernized chicken nuggets. And I'm a westernized chicken nugget. Ma, I, I am yeah. too. It's not that I'm pointing fingers, but you know, it's important to know the <laughs> 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 Yeah. how to deal with it. The thing is, like, you know something I think about when it comes to Saudi? Saudi has like, was, a, is, or not anymore, like a very closed bubble of a country. Sahih. And I felt like that was... somehow it like really preserved our culture in a very mm. long time that protected us yeah. from colonization to a certain extent. Mm. I mean, we are influenced by Western culture. Like, I don't think there's a country in the world that is still quite strongly attached to its origin. Yeah. But there, like just the fact that when you walk out the street, is enough. Is enough. Yeah, صح. to show like to show that we have somehow we still have ownership over our own culture. Speaking of something, I I I wanted to bring up, which I thought was really really funny. Um, I was asked to be part of a video, mm. and I قررت بيني وبين حالي إنه if I'm ever out in media or whatever, بحط طرحة. أنا ماني متحجبة بس أنا بحط طرحة باسم إني حاطة طرحة. خلاص it's my choice. I يعني I'm I'm not going to have anyone challenge it. So I was asked to be part of a video and um, they were looking into outfits with me and, and all these different things. And uh, the person I was dealing with was like, and, oh, we want everyone in like a super sleek hair style. I'm like, I'm going And then the response was, oh, fine. But just so you know that there are other Saudis in the video I don't like that I don't like that either I literally just finished rec- uh, like um, an episode if you are listening to this now an episode about hijab has come out and I just finished editing it before jumping into this interview yeah and what you just tells you're me you're charged eh? yeah. what you just told me like <laughs> stabbed me in the heart بس إن هذا اللي أحس إنه المشكلة إنه هذا الحين شوية where things are moving إنه 
there's there's a different ستاندرد عن انك لابسه نقاب ولابسه عبايه سوداء بعدين انت لابسه عبايه ملونه مع حجاب بعدين انت لابسه سم فيرجن اوف حجاب بعدين انت يور يور الترا كول اند الترا لايك يو نو اكسبوزد اف يو اف يو دونت دو ذات اور تلبسي الطرحه بطريقه معينه يو نو وات اي مين اند اي ويش اند ذا بروبلم از لايك I don't like that these choices are now influencing people's careers and like where they yes. go and how it is and how they're perceived. So that's a huge issue. It's and that's a, a huge issue. issue I'm seeing in the workforce here. That's a huge issue that I'm seeing in publications. I I am sure that people who don't wear a hijab or wear it in a way that's more palatable mm. to the West have an easier time getting these covers 100% and have an easy have an easier time being highlighted and and hired in general hired in general for yeah. sure and that's uh, i yani you don't want to take away people's choices and autonomy with that but and no that's now part of the fashion industry here yeah it was weird because i was being asked to be part of a women's day video mm. and yet my choice as a woman was to cover up yeah yeah and uh, my choice my choice was to cover up but and that was um n- not even challenged that was just like shot down you know mm. and i was made to feel like a little bit shamed for it and i'm يعني ما راح ادخل في النيات وكذا بس انه كمان i think people in general need to be more considerate definitely so that was yeah I mean, and that that happened, by the way. I mean, I feel the need to say, you know, it was like a much smaller scale. It wasn't like, uh, anything very, very serious. But in a, it, it's a problem across the board. Is my yeah. point. I mean, if you're listening to this now and you want to, like, I went into a full episode exploring this whole thing about how hijab was is a concept of giving a woman autonomy and just choosing to not be sexualized. Mm. But then somehow that was completely stripped away from her now that they were living in a society that's Arab and Western outside of an Arab country, mm. outside of a Muslim country, that is just stripping women from the right to dress however they want to dress, whether it is revealing or not revealing. Yeah. Just stripping them of the choice. Like yeah. no matter what they wear, they're going to be extremely judged. Mm. And we're not able to... truly respect a woman who chooses to put on a hijab or chooses to not wear a hijab for example i choose to not wear one mm. and you chose to wear one for that sake of the video mm. because that's how you wanted to be represent your culture yeah and that was stripped away from you essentially yeah. and you were judged for that choice yeah and it's uh, and and you know like i hear about it a lot and it happens in different industries and whatever but and i think my point from the personal anecdote was just to say and no i feel like Arabs who don't partake in Arab things have an easier time being, you know, in these sorts of spaces. Definitely. I think one of them, we constantly notice this phenomenon of how Arabs tend to hire Westerns, Westerners Mm. who are inexperienced, but they make up for their inexperience in their whiteness. Mm. You tend to see that in projects that are 2030 projects, uh, projects that are multimedia, where you constantly find this American who is jumped on board with no experience that are just hired for the sake of being American. Yeah. And we've noticed that 
God, it's been happening for such a long time. Like, it's nothing new. صراحة خف. You really think that? I think really خف because now you have um, Arabs who have an equal education, who have mm. like an equal amount of work experience and whatnot. But I know we're definitely still getting there. يعني. I mean, that's amazing. But you know, like in the fashion industry, I think that's that's a big part. That is a big part. That That is truly, truly a big part. And I think you know, a huge problem is that we The, the art schools are inaccessible, Alia. They are. The art schools are expensive. Exist. They're inaccessible. The يعني, Even if scholarships do exist, there's still an accessibility issue. Fa- I mean, we don't have many scholarships for art prog- programs. We have for creatives. Yeah. Like, for example, now we're getting some for music and film. Mm. There's quite a bit for film. Like, there's yeah. a lot of programs. If anyone's interested in getting into film, like if you go to uh, Neom or Ministry of Culture, they have a lot of online programs for script writing and so forth. But we're still not there for the fashion industry. Eh, for sure. Yeah. It's, it's really not the same. Well, you know, it's, it's funny because I think that... Um, With films specifically, it's because they realized, you know, Allahi, there's a lot of money in it. So we probably should give people these resources. But no, everyone wears clothes. It's yeah. just that marat um, and what I, everyone wears clothes. A lot of people wear jewelry. Like we all have some form of accessory on our person at all times. But the issue I often find, يعني, with, with my business model, is that when I explain it to someone who isn't a woman, Mm. And they shut it and they're like, man, it doesn't make sense. يعني, oh my God, it's it's not a coffee shop. How am I going to help you? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Now that you just said that, all I can think of is... You went to every place. You went everywhere they tell you to go when you have a project you want to solve from I went there. <laughs> We hired the right people. يعني سوينا سوينا اللي حل علينا بس إنك لسه قاعدة تتعاملين مع كيف يعني؟ ف... والمشكلة لما أجي أقول لما أجي أقول يعني I... okay so for example I remember going to like a specific entity mm-hmm. to ask for assistance all of that um, and I remember the secretary I was speaking to. was like in on ايش مشروعك وكذا because i was waiting for a very long time to speak to a person وقلت لها احنا نسوي يعني نبغى نحاول نسوي بيرسنجز انه تخريم بس ما هي بطريقه ميديكال لان باقي العالم ما هي شيء طبي هنا خلوها شيء طبي قالت يا الله مره وناسه انا قاعده ادور على محل هنا ما لقيت كذا and then i and then i go to the guy i'm supposed to be speaking to and he doesn't understand <laughs> I hate, oh God, this is a bit of a like sidetrack, but what you said is literally me trying to explain <laughs> women's right and feminism to a man. Literally, literally block, block. I do not comprehend, nothing. 404. No, no, but it's not even that. And, and like, hatta until you try to reason with them, يعني, توريهم the numbers, the things that make sense, so kida. And um, they're still like, we don't know where to, يعني, لازم دكتور. You know, like it doesn't, they don't. I mean, to be fair, like in Korea, if you want to be a piercer or I don't know, sorry, I'm not sure about piercing, but if you want to be a tattoo artist, you have to have a medical license. Yeah. So so it's it's different in Korea because you can get, 
I'll I'll give Japan as an example because mm-hmm. they have the strictest law involving that. And if they if if I could do what Japan is doing, I'm completely fine with that. So a piercer doesn't have a medical license. Mm-hmm. They're they're a professional. They have their courses. They have their certifications. They've been working in the field for a long time. And with piercings, by the way, what a lot of people here are doing, they're taking a two week course and they're coming back and piercing. Mm-hmm. Whereas like Methalan in the states, you're a year long apprenticeship under mm-hmm. a professional, so it's much more serious. So anyway, in Japan, um, you're you need to be, you need to have a medical license. You do not need to be an MD, but you need to have a nurse at all times. Mm-hmm. That's fine. Fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. Best uh, thing is, I'm so excited about this project that you're doing, and I want to get more piercings. And I currently have two keloid scars. I want scars. to. I want to give you more piercings with no keloid scars. But now we need to get to a point where we can get there. The thing is. <laughs> There's so, like you know how insecure I am about those stupid scars. I do. It happens. Like, keloids <sighs> want, are very possible. I mean, genetics. God bless being Arab. <laughs> Speaking <laughs> of being Arab, you know the part where you're talking about how you don't know how to deal with a man when it comes to the fashion industry. I'm sorry, I hate saying this. You know what's ridiculously ironic? Yes. Some of the richest billionaires in the West mm. have become billionaires from. the fashion industry of course yeah the person who created zara the person who created mango yeah the person who is the ceo of lvmh yeah biggest richest men in the world yeah have gotten there because of the fashion industry the consumerist industry and i feel like we are currently at a very we have a unique opportunity hmm where we can jump on the train of sustainable fashion, jump on the train of small businesses and support that entities, these entities, because we have, we don't have much designers, but we have those small abaya shops. We have those small handbag creators. And everyone buys their stuff. يعني, yes. Eh. I feel like we don't need to like jump on the conglomerate end of the spectrum, mm-hmm. but like actually start understanding that We can create a bubble that is somewhere like, for example, Sweden, where it is it is like a community that tends to be a lot more aware when it comes to consumers, consumerism. I'm going to say that. Mm. And like ignoring IKEA because IKEA is like the complete opposite (laughs) that we're trying to support here, where you have small businesses and people are not buying from big fashion. Like they're more considerate of where they're putting their money. And I feel like this is the perfect thing to do yeah because also yani something um, i was talking to abaya designer and she had a very interesting take on the fact you know مثلا احنا عندنا مناسبات زي عيد زي رمضان where it's a specific category of clothing طبع معين نوع معين that can be made by us for us so you have these entire events that arab designers could essentially dominate yes and they've started to so That's something else to also think about. And yani, I think, Kaman, honestly, you know what I'm so surprised by? I'm surprised that there are not that many people doing gowns, like affordable gowns. That's because a very valid point. I think you know, the only people that dress the way we do in weddings are like China and Romania and Russia, not everywhere. Yani. Yeah, I think... You know what? That is that's really true. I never thought of it that way. Honestly, yeah. yes, we we tend to be a very dressy community. We're a very dressy community, and it's yeah. like a part of a, a like a culture of respect. Like mm. you are disrespecting a person if you attend a munasaba, 
not dressed appropriately. Like that yeah. is a very big part of our culture. Yeah. I mean, men have it easy because they just need to own two thobes. The shoots are very expensive. I have to say. Yes. <laughs> That's another. Again, when you mentioned the men thing, like my brain just did like a, a very quick, like what makes, what, how do Arab men dress? Now that we're talking about the fashion industry in the Middle East, I feel like it is very important to criticize how Arab men dress. Because if I see one more polo shirt that is pink <laughs> with Todd's and a Mont Blanc wallet, I will shoot someone. Alia, <laughs> leave people alone. I, I'm, it's, ugh, I, we judge people on this program. <laughs> You know, it's fine because you judge people and then you turn around and you judge yourself and then you turn around and you're like devil's advocate. Ah, so we fashion. <laughs> For not one second do we promote any... Listen, if anything, I allow judging of men. <laughs> I think yeah. it is very healthy. This is not the kind of space that supports men. <laughs> I know we're supposed to be feminist and that means also supporting <laughs> men's rights. <laughs> the polo shirts are not the problem. The polo shirts are the problem. <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> I hate, it's not like my eyes are going to bleed. I hate the fact that like if you, to qualify as a well-dressed male, one, you have to have pungent cologne. Like that is just a prerequisite for Arabs. And I wish the standards, I wish the standards were equalized. One of my friends mentioned that um, she doesn't like when, Someone يعلق إنه جت حتى ما هي حاطة makeup إنه هذه ما هي كاشخة because in my friend's mind إنه a standard like presentability and cleanliness for a man is the same as a woman. That mm-hmm. makeup is an addition, accessories really? are an addition. إيه إنه مثلاً يعني أهم شيء you're clean وأهم شيء you're dressed appropriately. You're not like in a swimsuit in a formal function. Um, but like I feel everything like men, else is additional. I feel like men, Arab men, are very groomy, like the, like a, a very well-lined beard, eyebrows that are proper. Like they, حسب, I feel يعني, like they have the male equivalent of like a very prepped, preened female. But that's not expected from them. It's an addition. I think it is the groomed, the extra groomed beard. I yeah. really think it is. Really? Yes. I don't know. Maybe I, don't, I have four brothers, and I when I like the way that we were raised in our household, it's. Uh, like my brothers when they used to come back from university you know how when they're cool with they do the uh, whole ponytail yeah literally like this is <laughs> this is how i was raised in my household and like my brothers like like they take like gel and beard products and beard oil is like a very big thing and my brother there's a huge age gap between me and all my brothers so i think i wasn't really aware of you know i wasn't observant of the standards but um yeah it's just more expensive to be female yeah my life improved since i bought boy razors though like halas i've just committed to buying boy razors i moved to sukkar ahsan shay Yeah, but I think I'm gonna. I'm like saving money for laser at this point. I gave up. You know what's really sad? I genuinely thought to myself, Am I a bad feminist if I pay for laser? No, راحت بال if you wanted to. But that's the thing. It's like Alia choices. And and I feel the problem. whenever whenever someone's like, "No, okay." You shouldn't be doing this because this because أعطي الناس choices. It's fine if you do laser. It's fine if you don't. It's fine if هذا 
choices. You know, just kidding. When you say that, all I can think about is RuPaul Drag Race. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Mm. Choices. That was a choice. <laughs> but like, okay, you know what? For the be- thing is, I love being a cisgendered girl. It's, I don't think it's problematic, but I, I truly, even though it's really hard to be a woman, I really love being a woman. I really, really love being a woman. And I like the beauty things. And thing is, I kind of... Yeah, it's fun. It's a good time. It's a good time. Yeah. I, I kind of... You know what? I think... I really hope men wearing kahal will come back. Is that weird to say? I think I think K-pop will kind of, you know... But like, I like... Definitely. But I just kind of miss the whole kahir al vibe. I, it was an era. Um, like 500 years ago. <laughs> I know. When? Yeah, 500 years ago, 80 years ago. I think even less, by the way. Because, hey, like, my cousin wore Kahal to his wedding. <laughs> <laughs> but he got married like 20 years ago. <laughs> and I think he was forced into it. Yeah. More 500 years ago. But, like, I kind of I look forward to Kahal al this, this has This has treaded so far. From the initial topic. No, I think actually we we stuck to the topic quite well. De- uh, better than I thought we would, Saraha. I mean, no, we're still talking about the beauty industry and the the whole thing. Yeah. Because uh, you know what I. I just try to think for like to myself. For example, I'm trying to decolonize the beauty standards in the way that I look at myself mm-hmm. and try to create a space for myself that is not western in terms of beauty and terms of fashion and i look onto these publications and i try to see what i can take from it that nurtures my eyes my soul and i'm struggling and i'm trying to manifest them out of nothing and a big part Mm -hmm. of that for example was me keeping my curly hair curly yeah that was that was what i was gonna say because uh yeah growing up that was not the that was not cool <laughs> no. to have. And it just started. And I'm, I'm mad if any of my Instagram explore pages like filled with like curly hair techniques. Okay, You know, I think I think we need to stop placing this high of an expectation on publications and just take it for what it is and instead focus our attention towards social media. Well, the thing is, um, when, it, when I say publications at this point, because again, like I come from a journalism, classic journalism background. And we mm. constantly, when we were taught journalism theory, a big part of it was like this whole, the fourth estate. Yeah. And it was back in the olden days. It was like, what were the elements that govern a country? And it was the people, the monarchy, the church, or the religious body, or, uh, sorry, and the fourth estate, which was journalism. Mm. And it was always like this higher voice of journalism was kind of like a way to keep people informed and in check. And that was done before in the form of print media, Mm. thanks to the Gutenberg press and all of that. Yeah. But now we live in an era where that is replaced by social media. So I'm trying to emphasize the point that print media like Vogue magazine and all of that, like need to have a digital space. And honestly, like there are so many Arab creatives. Yeah. That should take responsibility of, I mean, they already have, but like, assert their presence and mm. dominate the industry and just decide what the beauty standard what the fashion standard is for us maybe the beauty standard is no fashion standards and no beauty standard because we're so different 
that is like, very yeah, I fair can, yeah i can walk like especially in jeddah i think like mm-hmm. i can walk out the door look at someone who's blonde with straight hair look at someone who is like has hair like yours like very curly and look at someone who's like very brown and look at someone who's like very light skinned like it's so there's just like a lot there's just a yeah. lot of diversity but the, here's what's funny because i think also companies are catching on to that and this is kind of a redundant conversation but now i think if i give a blogger a concealer mm. and i pay for that concealer to exist in vogue i would benefit more from the blogger so mm. it's uh, it's so different now you know what i agree i agree can you tell me more of like what would you like if you have a child mm. inshallah um at some point um if you have a child or a younger person in your house and someone that you want to give that same experience of reading vogue from the corner store what would you give them or what would you wish exists so you can give them you know i feel like Um, there was this there was this Oxford talk with Anna Wintour and she was saying that I think print needs to move to more like curated coffee table books where it's not every month it's you know four times a year and you know it's a hard cover it's there's more kind of thought put into the execution they have like a longer time to plan it it's free of advertisement because you actually have to pay mm. um i think i i wouldn't if i had a kid i think i wouldn't worry too much about it i think they'll have their version of whatever exists at the time whether it be like someone on youtube whether it be a podcast or like an exhibition they can go to i don't know i think i would try to take them to museums because then they can actually see the stuff in person yeah you know? i i'd like that idea but i feel like we we're still we're slowly getting museums and stuff in, in the country but we're we're not we're not there, there yet, yet. but you no know, there there are like um, there are plans i would hope so like if mm. i like in an ideal world there are plans but in, in an ideal world i would want to take them some place where they can actually physically immerse themselves in the experience I and not like and not that, like yeah. a print publication or not you know a form of media like a yani a physical space. you know what i'm kind of also at the same time scared because i myself who's an adult who's 25 years old who has an acute awareness and critical thinking skills mm. but i am severely influenced negatively by what exists on social media when it comes to the beauty standard and the fashion standard mm. even though now we're getting a lot of the Ashley Grahams and uh, the plus size There's models There's 100% more inclusion now though. There is yeah. but like Lisa Lisa yeah. and I really hope people quite understand that we really need to see more diversity and I feel like small creative voices I mean Laula Jati for example I only have I mean I have 1400 followers on Instagram the main platform in which I express my thoughts in but mm. like this small space that I have created has mm. created a ripple effect and has helped mm. other people mm. and whomever is listening to us who is a small creator you have a voice you have the space to help other people by being genuine and thinking about what could benefit other people in a small space mm. 
because we no longer no people have a stronger ability to curate their feeds yeah and not just look onto like one institute like Bogue where it's the heroin chic it's the expensive clothing it's the inaccessible aesthetic mm. now you have diys you have easy to view things and on the other hand you have like a beauty industry that is really scary and struck destructive and the filters that are slowly butchering my own self-esteem yeah and it's about time that we really start focusing on creating those spaces that are safe because i can't handle one more face filter like it hurts my insides yeah i think I think more and more, like, more and more people need to exist that are actually, like, making content. You need more bloggers, you need more commentators, you need more buyers, you need more stores, you need more online platforms. It's just the more exist, the more you as an individual can find yourself mm. in the company that you most relate to, in the media platform that you most relate to, and maybe the influencers you most relate to, whatever. And kind of take it from there, you know? Yeah. Because, I don't know. You know, sometime, sometimes the face filters and that, like, type of modification can be empowering to some people. You really think and sometimes, that? I don't know. I don't want to speak to anyone else's experience. Like, I, I don't like the way I look in filters. I think I look worse in filters. But that's just my my experience. But someone else could... You know, like, I don't know. I've met people who love, like, the art of transformation. Yeah, sorry, my cat? cat walked in. And he's Is that Zatar? Yes, that's Zatar. Oh, my God, he's so much smaller in person, like a celebrity. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this feels a bit like a featured <laughs> appearance. I think you should do an interview with Zatar. Um, but, yeah, like, I've I've met people that, you know take pride in this like transformation yeah sorry for the bell that is my cat no, no, I hi will you sniff my hand <laughs> oh my god you look like a model we will put you on the cover of vogue <laughs> <laughs> my cat is a diva he's like a, he's like loki hafertali though he's like so cute he is so cute but like there's another cat in the family that is very fancy and used to be owned by a french panda. <laughs> family panda and we always make fun that panda is a french aristocrat and zatar is a palestinian refugee is he allowed to go outside no oh. he's not but he's like well trained like he doesn't if he ever goes outside he like takes a tiny stroll and then comes back very <laughs> tutti <laughs> Like, uh, he knows where the love is. He's I, so beautiful. He is. Yeah. He's such a batata. Like, yeah. I really, truly love him. And the thing is, he's... Everyone loves my cat, which I love. It's so cute. Oh, wait. I'll, I'll take... Shufi on the filters. What about drag? That's, like, complete and utter transformation. You know what? I think I was... some people take pride in the transformation. It's just, like, in, in filter form. Ma'arif. But here's... Like, here's... It depends on the usage. 100% I was just about to bring it because like for me there's yeah. this I truly believe a sense of empowerment in being able to control your aesthetic because like beauty is power mm. a person who is quote unquote pretty mm. who ticks the boxes of the beauty standards mm. they have a better time existing in the world they literally get shorter jail sentences 
they literally get easier jobs they literally get more money just mm. because they are more beautiful like this is just unfortunately how the world works statistically, statistically speaking okay yeah and now with the power of makeup you are allowing women to jump into that space but the thing is if we keep that the norm we are not benefiting anyone in the long term this is when it comes yeah. to like natural beauty natural makeup and all of that but for me for example like i my makeup goes in two direction just me personally mm. natural and okay. like smoky eyeliner that makes me look like i did not sleep for three days like there's mm. no in between i'm either wearing red lipstick a, a smoky eye glitter or like nothing i don't yeah. this is just talia this is how i exist and it's a big part of it is just really putting my foot down on who i am as a person by how i choose to showcase myself mm. and drag feels like that and i feel like drag is a very big way of saying this is how i choose to be you know what's funny i think it, people are having more of a problem with like quote-unquote natural transformation than mm. they are into extreme transformation i do i have a big issue with that because like Le- for me filters in you know, filters that are undetectable are mentally disorienting especially for younger people who do not have that awareness shufi and i have a problem with either it's a video and there's a filter and they're like promoting a face product and they're not disclosing in a few filter I mean, Gwyneth Paltrow and uh, that Vogue video that everyone talked about. You know which one I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, the makeup one. Yeah, I mean, God, annoying. Gwyneth Paltrow is someone who promotes a goopy lifestyle. I know you subscribe to that goopy lifestyle to a certain extent. To a certain extent. To a certain extent. I've into crystals. They make me feel better. This is where our friendship ends. Our our family dog actually tried to swallow one. Oh my God. Really? That is scary. (laughs) Okay, back to Gwyneth Paltrow. Like, she's someone who's trying to be, like, uh, promote a beauty lifestyle, all of that, and then, like, basically promotes her face products while she's putting them on top of her makeup. Mm. And that was, like, a big deal. And, And she's like, oh, I don't like to really put sunblock on, but, like, she has serious sunspots that were covered by makeup and people could notice. And people are like, this is not okay. Or you have... Um, Kardashians, I think, is a great example where they have had surgery enhances and all of that, mm. which, again, personal choice, rooted problems that should be discussed in society. But again, personal choice. <laughs> it's a very conflicting thing. But for example, you have someone like Kylie Jenner, who has a very huge influence worldwide and who was like, for a long time, no, I did not put lip injections in. It's just actually my lip liner and Should lipstick. Anna, I don't like anyone being responsible for how... يعني, I don't like holding celebrities accountable for their output. صراحة. I personally prioritize... To a, certain, to a certain extent, it's like... يعني, you should be informed enough to know that it's not... But what about younger voices? That's the issue. That's the issue at hand. You have good parental guidance. Look, I don't have kids, so probably and no, it's a it's a very different experience. And I don't have um, I don't have nieces. All my nephews are boys, so it's not uh, they don't. Yeah, 
I don't relate to that صراحة. I'm currently having that issue with my niece mm. For example, my niece has curly hair And her hair is not as curly as mine Like it's not really that difficult to deal with yeah. But she goes through the we've all Anyone with curly hair knows the whole تمشيط الشعر بعد الحمام The بوكا. conditioner Like the tears We've all cried those tears mm. And she started doing the whole I wish I had straight hair I wish I had straight hair And thing is Her mom, me We both choose to keep our curly hair curly yeah. And we're trying to promote this But like what she's seeing on screen is Celebrities with pin straight hair She's into K-pop Thanks to me, I'm sorry um, And she's like really influenced by these beauty standards Like she wants to be skinny And she's only six years old And she doesn't understand that Like you have to grow and you don't need to starve yourself and she's like really But going through into uh, that are you trying to diversify the content she's intaking yeah it's not working out and oh. also a big part of it is i'm i'm not a parent oh, I'm, i have the minimal response like allowance in, in doing so hmm. But I'm seeing I'm seeing younger people who are i know that satir is being such a naughty distraction he's so cute yeah he is so cute i love him mm. um <laughs> um, what I was saying, yes. So I, Zatar Inzal, Hashilak Mun Lurfa, Lomat Adapt. He doesn't understand what you're saying. I know, but like. <laughs> no, no, oh, no, no, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like the distractions that happened in this episode are good. Like, they're cute. They're definitely cute. I. I don't know because I feel like this for me these are not distractions. <laughs> these are just part of the process. You know, the thing is most of our conversations so <laughs> I sidetrack and we'll go back to filters, I promise. Um Rima and I we met online. Like we this is the first time we met in person was a week ago. Yeah. And we became. So we have common friends. We have. A yeah, lot we of do have friends. common friends. I did yeah. not just meet. This, you're not from like Craigslist. <laughs> <laughs> I did not pick you off from like the street, the online uh. version of a street. But um, a lot of our friendships, like conversations, happen like at 1 a.m. when we're both doing our skincare and feeling insecure, <laughs> and we're just like calling each other, and we're like, <laughs> like this is essentially our friendship. So it's like these. Imagine this podcast episode. But like with a face mask, tears, chamomile, crystals, and like 2 a.m. <laughs> But the chamomile and crystals are me. I'm chamomile at 2 a.m. as well. Oh, nice. Yeah. Okay. So, so we, it's, you're not that not goopy. There are goopy things. Miramiye <laughs> babunish. Are not goopy, you chicken nuggets. <laughs> The audacity, Gupial. No, the thing is, oh God. Okay, last what kind of No, no, what kind of chamomile is it? Is it the one from the or something? Is it like a supermarket? Are you Fine. kidding me? Point proven. What baboonish are you getting? I don't know. Sometimes I like the ones that are packaged nicely. I don't know. Okay, so since we usually on the phone and I give you the silence without a face, is the face much different or is this what you expected to see? This is exactly what I expected to see, but we FaceTimed and this is the face that you've given me. The thing that I love so much about Arab fashion is how modest it is and how shapeless Arab dresses are. Mm. Like They continuously put emphasis on 
defeminizing women and that makes them more feminine. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. And because of how the Arab world is structured as a whole, they tend to prefer women who are voiceless and unseen because of how oppressive our society is. Mm. And as a way to counter that, you're finding people who are like, no, we want to be more sexy. We want to show more skin. That is the way to go. And I'm just looking forward to a time where we understand that this modesty can be a choice and not yeah. enforced. Yeah. And further the industry in supporting how traditional Arab dresses were, just emphasizing the woman's voice and choosing how to wear. Mm. Mm. And this is what I look forward. This is what I want to see from the fashion industry. Yeah. This is the kind of content I hope to see and hear. And I want to move away from the the ends. I want to move away from a society being like, this is how a woman should wear and being the opposite of a Western society who's like hashtag free the nipple. Mm. I feel like we need to like reach the middle ground because honestly, I'm, I'm damn exhausted. <laughs> I'm so exhausted. I'm a big girl and I can't, I'm not comfortable in the Arab world. I'm not comfortable in the West, but I am comfortable in a female society that is, I just love Palestinian women mm. who wear thobes without a bra and you can see like the effects of aging on their skin and in their bodies, but they're just so proud of existing and being Falahi women mm. and just understanding that they're children of the land and they're people who have contributed to the existence of the space and just being unashamedly Palestinian. And for me, this is the most beautiful thing ever. I think you just need to figure out what your body exists to do yeah. at that point in time like I'm, and I decided to know my body does not exist to be looked at at this point in time I this is what I'm trying to achieve yeah. to be honest Yeah, I believe in the power of media mm. I believe in the power of journalism mm. but I also believe that we are in a time where journalism does not need an education journalism does not need heavy editorials and does mm. not need heavy censorship but it can mm. just be the voice of the few the voice of, not the few, but the voice of the average person. Mm. And social media is the answer. And I want to see more bloggers, more spaces like Lola Jarti. I'm not going to self-promote, but like I created Lola Jarti because I, to me, I believe that is the solution to mm. the bigger issue of women in media and how women are represented. Yeah. And I want to see like the rookie version of our day because I loved Rookie Magazine. And, and I want to see women just sharing their genuine opinions and being so creative for the sake of being creative to themselves yeah. and to other women without really thinking about the male gaze. Much like man repeller. I'm like having man repeller <laughs> withdrawal at the moment. <laughs> because, uh, yeah, yeah, she recently got cancelled and I'm... There was a podcast and it was a whole thing. Yeah, I'm yeah. currently mourning it. But um, I truly believe that is the solution. What I about mean, you? I think I think people, you sort of decide what's popular. Like the masses decide what's popular. Like I think the biggest example of that was the TikTok video. Which one? The curly hair one. I mean, it went viral. <laughs> yeah. And that's people deciding what type of content they want to listen to. Yeah. And there just needs to be more of that. And I, I, I don't know. Um, I think the TikTok algorithm is getting it right. Saraha. I agree. Yeah. I agree. In your opinion, what is the biggest difficulty and hurdle in the creative industry? Maybe people will have different opinions. 
um, I, I was listening to something on Clubhouse mm. and RIP Clubhouse, oh. but they, but they I were already. I think خلاص. I wow. don't. I've only been on it for like five days in total. No, it annoyed me, but like I listened to one talk that was interesting, mm. and it was um, the people from Tilfaz Ahdash mm. and Abdul Nasir Gharim and a few other people. They were discussing how. They are so happy with the support that they're getting from 2030 Vision and how they develop their business, but there still lacks an infrastructure in getting permits mm. and trying to film uh, and trying to film in certain locations mm. and trying to film in certain locations mm. and trying, for example, to bring money from art that is sold outside, like. trying to do that that is for them the biggest issue is just yeah, the yeah, yeah. permits I, I, yeah who are the permits are a big thing ترى, uh, i acknowledge fully that mm. i know that but it hinders me from operating effectively yes and it also hinders me from يعني, making money which make tax which like correlates to taxes which further my like it's It's such a huge hindrance. And يعني, I remember someone once telling me, Tara, this is just what it is when you're, in, when you're an entrepreneur, you just have to fly under the radar until the government catches up and, and you'll be able to do everything effectively. But كمان, you don't want to do anything that's not going to end well. يعني, yeah. I think we need to end this podcast episode for two reasons. Suddenly, <laughs> the door opened and my niece and nephew barged in. And I think... I'm gonna, you guys, I need to move out of this house. I'm gonna cry. But it's so lively and colorful. The architecture is so beautiful. Thank you. But my issue is that I have no privacy in trying to work from home. What are you talking about? The door is closed. There's like a mini car over here. That's my niece's. I know. It's so cool. I well, I love it. how you, this is the first time you're entering my house. You have met my cat. You're about to meet my niece and nephew and my sister-in-law. This is, I am honored. Yes. Do you have any final remarks? Um, <laughs> This is so unprofessional. Oh guys. my God. Yeah. I just got on board with the idea of drinking water like very recently and it's really changed in my life. So I think everyone should drink more water. Yes. Yeah. That's all I have to say. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Rima, thank you so much for being on this episode. Thanks it was actually quite informative and insightful. And I know you were quite anxious to be on it for a while. Yeah. But I want to tell you, you have done a swell job. If you have any comments or remarks, please send them my way. You can access me through my email and you can also access me through social media. I'm available on Instagram, TikTok and Twitter. Also like, share, subscribe. And if you think that we had anything of worth to say, please give us five stars. And Rima, thank you so much. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Listeners, love you, Jarad. Thank you for listening and goodbye. Bye.